We are the sacred collective. All are respected. All are heard. All are welcomed. Join us. Welcome to the Sacred Collective podcast, everyone. This is your host, Brian Odland. I have a very special guest today. Um, I have Ben Seidel, um, also known uh, with his music moniker as Romer. So thank you, Ben, for being on the podcast tonight. Thanks, Brian. I'm, I'm excited to be here. So um, how this kind of happened, because um, to let our listeners know, I had, I think we followed each other on, on the socials on Instagram, but I didn't know per se who you were. And, sure. yeah. and then, which is fine because, you know, just the big wide world of the internet, like we don't know everyone on there. Um, and so I actually wrote a post on on my Sacred Collective Instagram saying, um, does anybody want to be on the podcast to kind of tell their story and what's going on? And I think right away you were like, hey, I'll be on the podcast. So then, you know, we kind of got in touch with each other. And so here we go. Um, can I ask, did you listen? Have you listened to the podcast before? I have. I have a, a, a few a few episodes. I think we got I think I got turned on to the Sacred Collective via um, following uh, the Radical Theology Network folks. The, um, oh, yeah, yeah. And so I think I think that's how it happens, uh, just because a lot of those folks are based in Europe. And that's where I spend a lot of my time. And um, and those are people that I think are really interesting, saying great stuff that means something to me. And I, I don't know, I'm kind of a podcast junkie. So follow the the thin red line and i've listened to a bunch of episodes um uh, most recently the uh, the one that you did with the uh, the woman who is now she was part of the ag and is now uh, oh yeah an, a- an atheist and i thought that was just a, a brilliant phenomenal conversation so. oh thank you thank you yeah and that just kind of happened she reached out to me on on instagram too and i will say um i don't know if she might be listening but we're doing a part two come here in september that uh that that kind of um bit me in the butt a little bit that post i'm i'm happy that it did but now i'm booked all the way through september for conversations every week so hey it's gonna keep me busy on and i just do this you know i have a day job but i love podcasting um i love listening to podcasts and then i I was like i can do this you know i just have to find a producer which i have so it's like why not do it i have i have all this gear why not do it so here we are Sure. Well, I, I think it's also in, indicative of, you know, I mean, yeah, at the top of the show, all are respected, uh, all are uh, welcome and all are heard. Yeah. I mean, uh, and yeah, I think that's, that that right there is a massive um, win and selling point. People, I think, feel comfortable with that. So, And how yeah. often do you hear that, whether it's in churches or other groups, and yeah, it's really it's not true? Yeah. And we try to, we try to you know, really honor that. Cause how it started is like just a small group of former seminarians like myself who were like, what do we do? What, what do we believe? And so we just got together and then we usually would do that every other, every other Thursday. And then the pandemic hit. And so, you know, we're all just, you know, have different understandings of what we want to do with the pandemic and whatnot. And then life happens. And then I'm like, well, I'm just going to do, in, you know, interviews as much as I can. So to keep myself busy. So we're going to go to that you know, if you listen to earlier episodes of Sacred Collective, they're a little bit more rough and a little more, a lot more people talking. But in the last year, year and a half, it's obviously been mostly me doing it, which sure. there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so, Ben, let me ask you, who are you 
um, kind of just meaning giving up like a background of who you are, what you do, um, all that stuff. And I'll give it to you. You have the floor. Great. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, my name is Ben Seidel. Uh, I am an American and I, I guess, uh, well, I don't, I don't guess I'm, I'm, I'm cisgendered. I'm white. I'm kind of a heteronormative guy. Um, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, but I've because of my dad's work, we moved around quite a bit. So uh, I've lived in Memphis, Tennessee, outside of Washington, D.C. Um, and for the last 17 years, I've lived and worked in Berlin, Germany. Um, I studied religious studies and German literature in school and then had the opportunity to study theology at the Humboldt University in Berlin. And while I was there, I met my wife. Yasmin, and um, had the opportunity to get involved in, in cross-cultural uh, church planting ministry. Um, and I've been in Berlin, yeah, for 17 years, uh, and and I also play music. So I, I'm a, a folk indie singer-songwriter person. Um, I sing really sad, melancholy tunes that have obscure, weird, biblical, uh, theological references to them that kind of really only make sense if you drink a lot of whiskey, um, in my opinion. So, um, well, I like, that's kind of, I like that's whiskey kind of and I like melancholy music. So maybe that sounds like a good Friday night to me. And yeah. To me too. So, yeah. so there you go. Yeah. yeah so uh, how was it like? Cause I mean, I visited other countries outside of America. Like my best friend lives in Switzerland where, they do speak a lot of different languages there, but as an American yeah. like like yourself, how yeah. how was it kind of like was it a culture shock? I know you said you studied, you know, like German language and stuff like that, but like how how long did it like I, I guess kind of picking your brain, how how was it when you were there like a lot of culture shock, a lot of similarities, a lot of differences? Obviously language is the big difference, but sure. Well you know, that that's a that's a great question. Um I think it's the the answer to all of that is yes, um, and and no at the same point in time. Um, I uh, so so I all throughout high school and, and throughout university I, I studied German. So when I went to to, to live in Berlin and, and be a student and then and then live there and work, I had already spoken German uh, before. So that wasn't um, a huge shock. Um, that being said, though, uh, I mean, I, I am. I'm a white kind of normative, uh, main, you know, majority culture type person in North America, uh, at least in the places that I've lived. Um, and I have a certain cultural lens and I understand myself through that. And I was then transplanted into a completely different part of the world where people didn't have... Um, uh, my, my, they weren't part of my context. They, were, they didn't grow up that way. So, so yeah, there was there was shock for sure. Um, and, and to be honest, after being there for seventeen years and being married to a German, um, there still is shock in, in ways. I'm always surprised by, oh yeah, that's weird to me, or that or that feels uncomfortable, or I notice myself being short tempered or or frustrated. And it's 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 a cultural thing um, for sure. Let me ask you this, um, and this is just me being 
very curious. Um, sure. I mean, my, my background is I'm, I'm Norwegian, German, and Hungarian. Um, but I was, um, when I was visiting my friends in Switzerland, was, is it, um, do is the mentality that Americans are like loud? Was that something that you came across? I mean, even if you're like a mild mannered, you know, person, cause I mean, every time I've went to other countries, it's always been like, you guys are always loud. You're always wanting to be the center of attention. Did you, did you ever get any of that? Like, this is just me just being curious and, and yeah. maybe being and, nosy of, of how other people look at us. Sure. I, I, I mean, yes, I, I got that. I actually got that quite a bit. And, and as a, as an American who's living abroad, um, who's also introverted and I appreciate quiet, uh, a lot of that stereotype tends to lean more true, uh, mm-hmm. especially when you're around tourists. I mean, but look, there's plenty of other cultures in the world who are also loud. Um, uh, so, uh, and boisterous and, and joyful or, you know, it, it, that does happen. But uh, Germans, I mean, we need to be careful and not make overarching blanket statements. But on average, a lot of Germans tend to be a little more reserved. Um, uh, and, and quiet. There are actually in German culture, uh, there are specific times during the week and days during the week where it's expected that you are quiet, like on a Sunday, for example. Um, so you don't turn on the lawnmower or start hammering nails and walls on Sunday because it's the quiet day. So. Yeah, I noticed that because when like my friends being in in Switzerland, my my friend is an American, but his wife is Swiss, and there was just things like. Like here in America, like our bars and restaurants are open till, you know, the wee hours of the morning, like two in the morning. Sure. And sure. I remember going and visiting them and it was like a Wednesday night. And I'm like, hey, let's just go out to, you know, the to the bar and, and have drinks. And they're like, well, we got to go at like six. I'm like, why? They're like, because they close at like nine. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, like Europeans don't party like Americans party. Or if they do, it might be like in in like the bigger cities, but some of the like smaller towns or villages, it's like, no, you're expected to go home and be with your family and, you know, do all that stuff. So it's just very different. Cause even like small rural towns all over the country, bars are still open to the wee hours of the morning. It's just, I just find it culturally fascinating. I should say that. Yeah. You know, it really depends on where you are. And I know in Germany, in the smaller villages, that can be true. In, in Berlin, I live in the capital city, so nightlife, um, I mean, there's a joke. They say that, oh, nightlife is happening 24-7. It definitely is in specific clubs before COVID. Um, but, I, you know, I, I don't know. There's, there's a music venue uh, down the street from where I live, and on Thursday through, through Sunday, we're open until, they're open until 2 a.m. for sure. Um, so it, it does depend, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you didn't think that you were going to be talking about uh, like cultural differences <laughs> from America to Germany when we did I'm this. Fine. It wasn't yeah. my intention, but I just, I guess, it's curiosity okay. got the best of me um, sure, with that. And I've always wanted to go to Germany just because I am German in my heritage. So I'm like, hey, that would be kind of, that'd be kind of cool to visit there sometime. So. Did, 
Did you ever grow up with Norwegian, Norwegian or German being spoken in your house at all? Or anything like um, that? not that much. I'm only what is it? I think I'm only third generation. Um, okay. Norwegian. It was my. I think it was either my dad's dad or his grandpa. So I was third or fourth generation. But we've only been, you know, because some people trace the lineage back like, oh, my family's been here since like the 17, you know, whatever. And I'm like, right. my family's only been in America on both sides since like the early 1900s. Um, so my dad knew a little bit of Norwegian, like some of it was spoken in the house, but um, they, you know, tried to Americanize themselves as much as they could. So a lot of the immigrants would come over and they're right. like, well, we're in America. We don't speak that language anymore. We speak English. Yeah. So my dad yeah. knew, my dad knew, um, uh, like the, uh, their national anthem and he would sing that. I can't remember it now, but then my grandpa, so my mom on my mom's side is where I'm more German. My dad was Nor- right. mostly Norwegian and Irish and Scottish, and then a little bit of German, but my mom's German and Hungarian. So that's quite a, quite a combo. And then my uh, grandpa, her dad, grew. Um, he was adopted by um, a family um, who just spoke German. So to you know, he died a number of years ago, but he had such a thick accent, and it was a like a German Hungarian kind of accent. Right. So everyone was like, "Is your grandpa like from another country?" I'm like, "No, my grandpa was born in Wisconsin," and they're like, "Why does he talk so funny?" And I was like, "He doesn't talk funny, but he definitely now." You know, hearing other people talk from other countries, I'm like, oh, he definitely had this thick German, German yeah. accent. Man, that's really interesting because because my my grandparents are all kind of born in North America, I, actually in Wisconsin, uh, right outside of uh, Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. um, and um, but their their parents are off the boat uh, Germans. My uh, grandparents on my mom's side are from Wisconsin and kind of from that same area. And my mom and her siblings were all raised outside of uh, Milwaukee. So a lot of those Germans love Wisconsin, I tell you what. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll, true. Get, we'll get into the music aspect, but um, what do you do that brought you over to Berlin? Um, I think I want to say New International. Is that correct, the organization? No, that's correct. Yeah, so... Um, well, I mean, initially, again, I, I studied theology in Berlin, mm-hmm. um, and I knew that I was probably going to be in, 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 in full-time Christian ministry. Um, I, I grew up, I grew up in, 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 a, um, in a Protestant home that kind of dabbled with being evangelical, but was kind of, at the end of the day, kind of more mainline Protestant. Um, and that, that was kind of my my childhood my my world and and then to be honest it was actually a very good childhood um i enjoyed being a kid and i enjoyed going to sunday school and doing things like that and um and at a young age i kind of felt like i would probably wind up doing something in in ministry i thought pastoral work was interesting um and then i had the opportunity to, to, to study in Germany. And I, I just fell in love. I thought it was amazing. And maybe I could do theology in Germany. Like that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, and yeah, so I, uh, but everything kind of changed. I, I kind of thought that I was going to go like full on academic theologian and, you know, get a, 
do my MDiv and then do a PhD. Um, and while I was in the theology department, uh, I had the opportunity to to be help a German group of people start a new expression of a church um, in Berlin, and that was very intriguing to me. Um, because they were asking questions that I thought were really interesting. Um, uh, as someone who kind of grew up in mainline liturgical type expressions of faith, they were thinking, um, what would it look like if we did something that was historic in terms of kind of, you know, since the 1500s expression of uh, a German liturgy, but it was like in the environment of a jazz club or a bar. Um, that was really cool questions that, that they, were, they were asking. I thought that was really interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I work for an organization called New International. It's a, it's a missions organization. Um, be the easiest way to describe what it is. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the title missionary, I think, is fitting, although it's not one that I ever use. Um, for a variety of reasons. Um, in Germany, a missionary is connected to uh, colonialization, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. um, or or in, in a more nuanced sense, it's more connected to LDS and, you know, not a pejorative to them, but I, I'm not part of the LDS, so I don't want to... Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I work for New International. Um, I've worked for them for 17 years. Um, I was a church planner for about 10 of those years. Um, and more recently, what I do is I'm the European Regional Director. So I oversee uh, all of our uh, folks who are in Eastern and Western Europe um, who are doing a variety of different social justice-oriented projects, uh, as well as... Uh, uh, church planting type projects and um, I help them think cross-culturally and missiologically and I do a lot of pastoral care. That's what I do. So Fantastic. Um, another kind of just curious because obviously I've just been this American Christian and and everything, and I went to like seminary and stuff, but I can only speak out of the American context because I haven't done, mm -hmm. you know, church or ministry cross-culturally um sure. but how how is like christianity in like the religious uh, landscape in in germany since you've been there for almost 20 years how could you maybe in a nutshell or in a couple minutes say how is it so different from the american context that you've you know were brought up in, like you said and, sure. and where it is like now over uh, over there in germany yeah you know um I think first and foremost, it's really important to say that that's it, it's very nuanced. Mm. Um, it's not black and white. There aren't a lot of binaries. Although I think a lot of my colleagues and contemporaries would like to to assume that 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 it is, and I I, I don't. Um, Germany, as a whole, has a deep deep historical connection to. Uh, to expressions of Christianity and Christendom, mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, the uh, uh, I mean, the Protestant Reformation starts in Germany. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Martin Luther, or, you know, yeah. And so, um, 
and, and, and others. And you can actually kind of go back a, another hundred years and say, well, there was a guy who was doing stuff in, 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 in Czech before. Uh, but anyways, uh, um, so there's, there's, there, there are cultural nuances that exist within German culture that are deeply rooted in Christian tradition um, that it's safe to say that the average German uh, may be aware of those traditions, but it's not necessarily that deeply shapes their faith or their uh, perspective of, of the world. Uh, so, so, so just to, to kind of, I mean, everything, everything, when we start talking about church, we start talking about theology, we talk about anything, it, it, it's, it's always local. It just has mm-hmm. to be because right. it's about people. It's about people. So, um, so in, this, in, in the capital city of Berlin, there's about 4 million people. Maybe 10% of those 4 million people have some sort of connection that impacts their life to Christianity, whether that be, you know, Orthodox, uh, whether it be Greek or Russian Orthodox, mm-hmm. whether they be Catholic, whether it be mainline Protestant or um, expressions of ev- evangelicalism, the Germans don't really use the word evangelicalism, like how, how, how we do in North America. Sure. Yeah. They would they would talk about being more free church. There's a couple of reasons. Um, throughout the majority of the EU, there is no separation between church and state like we do have in North America. Mm-hmm. There is actually a state church mm-hmm. in Germany. Um, um, and that that's a little strange, but that 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 is how it is. So free churches are churches who do not receive tax uh, benefits. Or, sorry, they don't receive tax income from the, from the government like the Lutheran Church or the Catholic Church does in some instances. A free church tends to be they tend to be Baptist, they tend to be Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, non denominational uh, expressions of church. Um, so, uh, you know, on a whole, I think people who are coming from maybe maybe uh, expressions of faith, how you and I grew up in North America, uh, from what I understand, you grew up in the Assemblies of God yeah. uh, and, 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 and kind of in that evangelical fundamentalist world. And I was in the uh, Southern Baptist kind of world for a while, and then we were Methodist and um, but kind of always in that tension of conservative, evangelical, uh, the Bible is literally true uh, uh, type collective, I guess. Um, uh, and that is not the normative culture in the majority of Europe. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's very much, it's very much a, uh, a minority. It's, often seen kind of cultish and kind of sect-like uh, and, um, and and definitely seen as backwards and behind the times for sure. Um, that being said, after living in, in, in Berlin for 17 years, I've met plenty of people in and outside of that community um, who are deeply spiritual and have and have a, a connection to Christian culture or Christian expressions of faith that are um, 
that don't look anything like being evangelical, but are deeply meaningful to their lives, uh, but would make the average kind of white North American evangelical roll their eyes and say, well, you're not a follower of Jesus. Um, yeah. And I, and I thank you for saying that because, you know, for our listeners, because, I mean, we have listeners all across the board. You know, we have Christians, atheists, agnostics, um, queer, straight, you know, right. we, we're all over the place. And what you were saying about, like, free church and and the d- nuances within, like, evangelicalism, I know that because my friend being a pastor in right. the state church in Switzerland, it, I mean, yes, uh, and he's actually not too far um away from Germany, he's in St. Gallen, which mm-hmm. is not too, super, super far, actually, probably from Berlin, if I, wait, Berlin's in the northern part, like, Munich's down mm-hmm. in the southern part. Anyway, um, so, yeah, that that kind of language and what you were saying, like, I personally understand it and get it, but I think a lot of the listeners who, especially in the American context, because most of our listeners are in America, they don't, they don't understand that America does not have, like, a state church. Mm-hmm. You know, or even like in Canada, they're like the, the, the Church of Canada and stuff like we don't have that. And so when we use terminology like evangelicalism, yeah, in America, evangelicalism is like some is a God, Pentecostals, Baptists, you know, E free, like they're all under that umbrella where when you look at like Methodists, Presbyterians, you know, so on and so forth, they're kind of under that mainline Protestantism. So and I just thought that that was interesting because so often I hear people in conversations that I have and me, I I feel like what I do with Sacred Collective is not necessarily, I'm not a pastor, it's not right. necessarily a ministry, but it's theology, it's pastoral care, it it's it's all of that in into one and I really love it because people don't, so my, my big issue is, because I don't know if you've listened to some of the other recent ones, but I walked away from the ordination process in the UCC, which in America, the UCC yeah. is about as liberal and progressive as you can get. Um, I guess maybe the UU, but uh, it, it was just like, I had issues because I wanted to do stuff more like podcasting and meeting sure. in bars and doing stuff like that. And they were just like, what? Sure. Like pretty much sure. the only kind of ministry is either church parish ministry or chaplaincy. It's like, they didn't understand the, the nuances of yeah, faith and Christianity, and it, my issue was like, church is not inside the building; it's the people who make up church. Right. I would, yeah, I would agree. It's not a brick and mortar. It's a it's a group of people. It's a community, a neighborhood. Right. Um, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. What? No, I was just going to say. Um, yeah, I mean that that deeply re- resonates with me, and I, I think I think what's important to understand, excuse me, is um, we're talking about something that is global, that uh, is nuanced because of culture, because of language, because of experience, because of time, uh, because of translations, um, and uh, if if. What I love about what you're doing, and, and, and Brian, whether it be ordained or not, you are deeply pastoral in the work that you do. And again, your, your opening line, all are respected, all are welcomed, all are heard. Um, to, to me, to me um, that's deeply Christian. 
Now, I, I would I would have friends who would say, and that's deeply Muslim or that's deeply Buddhist. And I don't. To, to, yeah, great. That's awesome. I I didn't grow up in those traditions. I wasn't born into those traditions. But like like a statement like that to me is deeply Christian, and I feel like um, that echoes elements of what I hear in the four gospels and, uh, yeah. And that can happen in an Orthodox church expression or a Methodist church or an evangelical church, um, or, or a group of people who are gathered in a bar trying to figure out what in the world they think about the, you know, the world and, and, and everything around them and how that fits into how they identify in terms of gender or in terms of sexuality, uh, yeah, I, it's, I don't know. To me, that's, I'm sorry, I'm just rambling at this point. I just no, want to, um, I, I want to be very affirming to what you're saying because I, I agree with you. So, yeah. Well, yes, thank you. And, and I, you know, thank you for those kind words. Um, they mean more than you know from all the, the eight, the last eight years. Um, I guess this last year has been pretty good, but, uh, you know, I left the, quote-unquote ministry ordination ministry about last august and it was kind of funny because i do sacred collective but then i also i do a pub church um revolution yeah. church you know that meets in a bar um where i'm like how amazing is it i could sit up there with a beer or a glass of whiskey and we just talk about a lot of my sermons are you know about jesus or it's about you know now we're in this theme of of james and yeah. and really how some I'm like how so many Christians don't like James because it's saying like oh if you're a Christian you need to act act like one yeah you know you yeah. can't just be like hey I'm a Christian I have these right theologies and beliefs well great but if your actions don't match your beliefs then James yeah. is pretty much like no you're not you're not a Christian and yeah. people are like what and but it's yeah. so awesome knowing that I don't have this like denominational body looking over to me being like, you can't say that you can say this, you can't say that. And I do yeah. have a group of, it's a very small, intimate, maybe like five to six people that meet there. But, yeah. but you know, we, we do post, you know, the, the talks on the sacred collective feed, but you know, we get and we do Facebook live, but it's to me, it's like church, church, at least in the American context, I was telling my wife, I said, I feel so allergic to it. And like the sure. brick and mortar thing, and 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 I sure. actually was meeting, and I'm sorry if I'm on a tangential thing here. I apologize, but I was just hanging out with a friend of mine yesterday over some drinks, and he was saying how um, almost like we're in like a de-reformation because people are leaving that's, the church. That's an interesting way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it, go, go ahead. We're leaving the church not because of Jesus. But we're leaving the church is because we can't stand the hypocrisy, the lies, just the utter insanity that's going on in churches. I mean, these mega church yeah. pastors that are yeah, making sure. hundred, you know, three hundred, you know, a couple million dollars a year, and we're like, this is not the Jesus that we see in the New Testament. And especially with, you know, and I'm not trying to get political, but especially with, you know, the Trump election and 81% yeah, of white evangelicals voting for yeah, yeah, a very yeah. vile human being. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and it's so interesting, you know, when I sit back and, I mean, I've had so many friends 
in my life who were like, I was raised Christian. I, you know, my family's Christian and I have these deep moral teachings that I like about Jesus, but they're like, I don't know if I'm a Christian anymore. Yeah. But, but you go back to them and they're like, but they still love the teachings of Jesus, but they're like, I'm not a Christian because these stories, the church, that community doesn't mean anything to me anymore. And I just sit back and I'm like, how do I, how do I give a pastoral response? And maybe the best pastoral response is to be just sitting there with them, you know, and be like, you know, yeah, you're a lot of what you're saying is absolutely correct. Well, Brian, I think you're a hundred percent right. I think, I think the pastoral response to that is to say, is to be in it. Like, look, I mean, God, I feel like I, I don't know how I'm supposed to take this. Uh, there's the part of me who wants to be like, let's talk Christian. Uh, or there's a part of me who just wants to be real, but uh, not that they're separate. But there's a part of me who wants to say, uh, yeah, you essentially want to be what Job's friends were not. Um, Correct. They they sat with him for a while, but then they tried to freaking figure out why in the world all of his stuff was taken away from him and his kids were killed and all this type of stuff because obviously there was sin in his life. And uh, the appropriate response to that is, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, like, so there's there's that notion. And, I mean, but what you're saying, Brian, is deeply pastoral. And, and, and it actually echoes, in my opinion, the right response. I should just be with you in this and acknowledge the suck. Um, and... I don't know. To, to me, that's the notion of, be, of being faithfully present. Um, um, yeah, I, I think it's okay to say, yeah, this sucks and this is wrong and this hurts and there has been injustice and there is a lack of grace and there is harm that has been done and it sucks and it hurts and it's not right and this is counterintuitive to what we understand and what you have experienced in light of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, and then, and then, and then the next step is also realizing how you have taken part in that. If you have, or how both people have, um, it's, it's, it's a weird space. I, you know, being confronted with hypocrisy because it happens on all forms of ideology, regardless of where you are, uh, regardless of power in some instances. Um, uh, there's plenty of people out there who are going to say um, things need to change with regards to race, with regards to gender, with regards to equality, with regards to um, uh, LGBTQ plus uh, IA type things. Um, and there's a lot of people who are going to affirm those types of things who remain inactive. That's hypocrisy. Like it, it, it is, it just, it just is. And it applies to the, if, if you look at that and say, I don't like the Trump waving person, whatever, because of all the harm that they're creating and all the trauma that they're reminding us of and all the shit that they're bringing into the world. And I, gonna say i put the black lives matter thing sign in my in my my lawn which is great um but i'm not going to change anything about my life because i just don't have time and margin for that i have kids and 
life is crazy and weird right, and bills right. and whatever. Um, well, that's still in action, and that's kind of this weird, interesting loop of hypocrisy. And I think the th- same thing applies. And to me, that's where the Christian message is so interesting. We all have our bullshit. We are all saying, "Look, if 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 we're gonna give if we're gonna give the benefit of the doubt to everybody, which is freaking hard to do." But if we're going to say, look, I want to believe in the best argument from everybody on the best side, when I look at uh, other political ideology or religious expression of faith or whatever, I want to have in my mind the best argument, not the worst, not the weird, crazy, you know, out there, crazy uncle stereotype. I want (laughs) to have always the best version of it in my mind, which is stupid hard to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Um. but you want to have that, and then and, and then you're confronted with the reality that it's always going to be fucked up. It just it, it it is, and it tends to be more fucked up for other people. But you have to move into that. To, 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 to me, that's where I think the gospel is really interesting because it offers grace in both situations and says, "You see the shit in another person's eye." But what you don't realize is the massive amount of shit in your eye, and you don't really see the world the correct way at all. Um, and it's actually the person who you think that you that isn't seeing the world right is kind of more right than you. And that's a weird tension to be in um, because it kind of makes, makes this kind of level ground. And that's where the tension gets weird. And, and when you think about, like, Paul, Paul is writing these letters to these churches that's full of people who disagree with each other, whether they be Jewish, whether they be um, Gentile, so, so not Jewish. Uh, and they're trying to figure out, like, how do we do what, how do we be a group of people who follow after this guy, Jesus, who we think uh, died and then rose again three days later, which is kind of crazy because we don't know of anybody else doing that at the time. Um, and if that's true, that changes a lot of stuff. Uh, but I still think that, you know, gen- you know, Gentiles or definitely those uh, Samaritans, I mean, they're pieces of shit and <laughs> scum and we can't believe a, a goddamn thing they say uh, because, you know, they've rejected everything for the last long whatever they don't say the right things they're not pc they're not whatever um i I don't know like that the unique thing the unique thing about christianity and i'm sure this can happen in other expressions of other faith that i'm just not aware of because i don't know but having a group of people who say i don't agree with you politically i don't see the world that you that you see but I see you, and I recognize the Imago Dei that exists inside of you, the image of God that's inside of you, because it's inside of me, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. What if we slowed down and we were so fucking quick to listen and slow to speak? Mm. What if I ask the question of... I don't see the world through the pair of glasses that you were given upon birth, upon experience, upon whatever trauma has happened to you. I don't have that pair of glasses. I don't have those hearing aids. I don't 
know how to speak your language or cross those borders. But man, oh man, I see the Imago Day in you and I'm going to risk it all to cross this border to know you as a person. And it's going to cause trauma. It's going to cause conflict because the minute you cross a cultural border, conflict will happen because misunderstanding is going to happen. Um, I th- t- to me, when I hear the, the, the opening statement to your podcast, I think about that. And I think ultimately what you're saying is, and it's kind of indicative of what I've done with my life. I am a North American white, con- you know, grown up in a conservative evangelical Protestant home, kind of heteronormative parents. I'm heteronormative myself and cisgendered and all that type of stuff. And I'm a white dude. And I got my privilege and my power and I moved into a completely different cultural context and I ran into walls and I just was confronted with myself. And I feel like that's what the gospel offers us as a reality saying, Look, people have their own stuff, and we're going to come together, and we're going to go after this dude named Jesus, and we think that he rose from the dead. And one day we're going to meet him in the cloud. Do you want to join? That's really weird, but uh, that's that's the pitch. Um, and somehow he's going to forgive the transgressions of the entire world. That's a weird story. I don't know if it's true, but I think it's compelling. Um, and when it works right, it's a group of people who are doing some really really interesting stuff. When it doesn't work right, it's a group of people who are fundamentally, um, uh, 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 well, uh, fundamentally bringing hell uh, upon, mm-hmm. upon the fa- face of the earth. And I don't believe in hell, but man, oh man, Christians are really helping me believe in hell because they're making a lot of it. So um, I feel well like the same person in a lot of ways because what you were just saying, I'm like, I can't, I, I'm not going to disagree with that because I agree, I agree, and I agree. <laughs> Maybe well, this, that, that, this podcast that was could a, be like six hours long, but no, it's that was not going to be that long. That, that was a long tangent, man. I'm sorry. No, uh, absolutely just, fine. But, and yeah, I was just yeah. going to say like a couple places in there. I was like, hey, you were just talking about like the part in the Bible where it was about, you know, the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a plank in your own eye. And, right. and, and what right. I think is so funny is people will look at me as, I don't know, I, 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 I hate having labels, but I feel like humans need labels, especially North sure. American oh, yeah. people. For sure, for sure. But yeah. I, I call myself a Christian agnostic, and that makes sense to me because I believe in the teachings and, and message of Jesus. Sure. However, and I'm deeply, deeply, you know, enamored because I tell people Jesus didn't come for, to start a religion. He came to start a philosophy, a new way of life. He did. Yeah. And, you know, and I have my issues. If anybody listens to the podcast or even Revolution, they'll they'll know I have a love-hate relationship with the Bible because I actually take the Bible seriously, and it means something to me. Um, sure. And one of my favorite sure. taglines I've ever heard a church say is, we take the Bible seriously, but not literally. And that's very, very good. Um, yeah. But, yeah. And like you, I, I don't, I don't believe that there's a hell um, for a whole host of reasons. But I think what you were saying, which is a hundred percent right is when people do church community, well, it's, it's amazing. It's a beautiful uh, transform transformative thing, transcendent thing. But so often what we see in what it's done to me and why I just said earlier, why I'm almost like allergic to it 
is because it's so hellish to so many people. It's so toxic. It's so, I mean, half of my friends on Instagram that I've, you know, accounts that I've stumbled upon, even a lot of the people probably going to be on this are probably going to be telling about their church hurt, their church trauma. And I'm here for it. And I'm here for it. This is why I want people to be on this podcast. Tell me. Those are important stories. We need to hear them. Tell me your stories. Tell me. Tell me, you know, almost like this is like, you know, like a pastoral care podcast. It's not, but it's like, and we were really intentional with that tagline. Right. It was me and my wife and, you know, our, our producer friend who's moved out to Seattle now, but we sat down and we kind of, you know, we're like, and while we came up with the name Sacred Collective is everyone is sacred, whether they're religious or not, they're sacred because they're here on this planet. They're here in 100%. this sphere. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and all of humanity is a collective of people. And to me, it just clicked. I'm like, that's a be- that's just a beautiful title. It's a beautiful yeah. name. And, you know, so that was intentional with the name. But then was also intentional is where, like, I was like, I am sick and tired of being a vacuum uh, in theology. I don't want to just have progressive people on. I don't want to just have liberal people. I don't want to just sure. have Christians. Sure. You know, sure. I don't want to just have white, cisgendered males so I try right. to open it up to anyone and everyone to, to, to say, Hey, like, tell me your story. Tell me your life. And I've, yeah. I've even talked to some of my own family members who are still really entrenched in conservative Christianity. And I've right. told them some of the people that I'm having on and they're like, Oh, why would you want to have that person? And why would you do that? Cause I'm like, their story is beautiful. And yeah. I want to know what makes them tick, why they do what they do. And I always yeah. tell people, I am not in the conversion business. I'm in the conversation business. Oh, for sure. And, yeah. And that, and that yeah. should be any pastor. That should be any missionary. That should be anybody who does anything with the Bible is you should yeah. never once have a conversion, you know, to preach like you need to, you know, you know, say this prayer, which by the way, that's not, there's no, no prayer of salvation in the Bible. Right. Um, I'm like, you just have conversation because that's what Jesus did. And if we're supposed to mimic what Jesus did, it's like he was telling people like, hey, this is a new way of living. And yeah. let's have a conversation about it and not preaching at people, not telling them what they always did was wrong or they don't believe yeah. the right way. Now I'm on a tangent. I yeah. apologize. What, but. <laughs> no, it's, it's a great tangent. You know, what's, what's, what's really interesting is, um, you know, uh, so, so, I studied, so I'm, I'm studying German literature and theology in Berlin and at, at the Humboldt University, which is an old, it's an old university. When you, when you read older texts, people will talk about like the Berlin University. They're talking about this one. Um, and uh, there's, the, in the main campus building, when you walk in, there, there's a stairwell and there's a massive quote against green marble. It's written in gold. And it says, Philosophers have merely interpreted the world. It is up to you, however, to change it. Mm. Written by written written, written by former student Karl Marx. Karl it's Marx. a badass Karl wow. Marx. It's a that's a badass quote. Now walking, you know, cross the street, walk around a cathedral because it's a big city, um, and uh, get into the theology department. There's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm. White evangelicals love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, and then they love it more because of Eric Metaxas, which was an okay biography. There's better ones out there. Uh, Charles Marsh wrote a completely better one if you want to read one in English. Or you could I, just I agree, read Bonhoeffer. 
or, or, or you could just read Bonhoeffer. In his own words, it's translated into English. It's, he's pretty great. Anyways, um, there's this quote from him, and it, 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 it's, it, it, it's against white, and it's in blue lettering, and it says, uh, the church has an unconditional obligation towards the victims of any social order, even if they are not part of Christian community. Mm. I think those are two profound statements that um, that students who, regardless of their religious indoctrination, their uh, how they grew up, their own personal ideology, where they stand on whatever, mm-hmm. those are really interesting statements. Philosophers have merely interpreted the world. It's up to you, however, to interpret it or, or to change it. And uh, the church, this is the post-Christian secular progressive city this is their university and there's a line it says the church has an unconditional obligation towards the victims of any social order even if they're not part of christian community um those are really interesting ways to look at the world um and i think that's a really interesting starting place um and so so I mean, just to kind of tie back into what we've talked about before, what is the Christian response or Christian perspective to, uh, like, what are people thinking? How how are people in Berlin or in Germany thinking about the, with regards to faith? It's super nuanced, and it's really hard to understand. But what I can tell you is in one of the most progressive secular cities on the face of the planet, at least in the West, there's this university that for whatever reason put two quotes from two people whose paths theoretically don't necessarily intersect, but they found a place for them to intersect, where change, uh, world change, and responding to injustice is critical. Um, and, And realizing that being human sucks and is often very difficult. And we are really, really, really good at just being really shitty towards each other. And we have the potential of being so much better than that. We can be each other's heaven. We can be each other's hell. We can other, we can isolate, we can hate, or we can love and we can practice radical grace, which always costs something and oftentimes costs our own lives, comfort, power and security it just it just does and for whatever reason that resonates with me as a christian mm-hmm. and as a and as a minister and i find that in the gospels when i read it um but it also flies in the face of the cultural tradition that i grew up in which also professed to be christian and and i understand that too uh, it's a it's a weird tension to live in so. Um, I'm going to pivot to something else because I want to be respectful of your time and my time as well. Um, But sometime after this podcast, after this interview, could, I mean, we have either on Instagram or my phone number. Can you text me those quotes that you just said? Because I want to put those on the show note. Because that's that's so good. Because I think if someone could find like to see that, I think those quotes are really impactful um to a lot of people so thank you if you could do that yeah Um, i'd be glad to i you know i will probably got about 15 minutes left um just to be respectful for our time but we could talk about theology and and talk shop for for 
hours, which maybe in the future, if you want to be on, you have a withstanding invitation. So there's that. Thank you. Um, so your music, um, you go by the moniker Romer. How, uh, briefly, how did you get into that? Obviously music is, is, um, an important part of your life obviously. Yeah. Um, and I, and I bought your, I want to buy all your albums cause I think they're amazing. Um, just finances uh, don't do that, but that's true. I understand. That's why Spotify exists. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I like, you know, I want to, you know, buy stuff, you know, and, I, and support. I, I understand. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. Thank but you. I, I yeah. bought I fly solo, which is, if I'm not mistaken, is your latest album. And, it is. Yes. And I texted you today and I was like, I bought it and it's been on repeat at work all day. And I said it was just hauntingly beautiful. And I, and sometimes people are like, how is that, like, how can you yeah. use hauntingly and beautiful in the same way? But to me, it works because I That's love totally, your voice. Yeah. I love your singing voice. And I also love just the, the, the music and, and the, the words. You. you can, you're definitely very, very poetic. You definitely have a way with words and not, not a lot of, not all musicians can say that. So briefly how did you um just get into that music world because yeah. a lot of times you hear pastors and they're like oh i'm in a, like a praise and worship band or i'm in this and sure. it's completely sure. different you know very oh, yeah. you know some yeah. of your music you know there's like swearing in it and i'm like what oh, he's yeah. a minister yeah. and yeah. all this so right. yeah just briefly kind of right. kind of go through all that and how romer came to be yeah well again Ro- romer is just it, it's it's a moniker it's actually my middle name it's uh the last name of my step great grandfather. Um, yeah, you know, I stumbled into songwriting, into music. I grew up in a musical home in the sense that there was always music in the background. A lot mm-hmm. of Elton John, a, a lot of old school folk music from the sixties and seventies. Um, and I, I played the trumpet in uh, when I was in middle school and high school, and I, it meant the world to me it was a way to express myself and kind of deal and process with my emotions and my thoughts and feelings um i got heavily into ska music into oh, jazz yes. I, I played i played in some just really bad ska bands but i had the time of my life and it mm-hmm. was awesome um and i went to college and i realized i can't be the guy who walks into the dorm with a trumpet <laughs> so um so I, I i my dad had this old classical guitar nylon string guitar and i took it with me to college and thankfully i met some guys who were playing guitar and taught me some chords and and i had a, a really good friend who was a songwriter and really just encouraged me to explore songwriting i just fell into it um so uh, you know with 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 regards to music it, it it's Music has always been part of my life. It was always a hobby, and it was always something that I did for me. It was never for other people. Um, and I really want to say that's still the reality for me being a songwriter. Although I, I, I you know, I'm part of a record label called Old Bear Records. I, um, I play in front of people. At least I did before coronavirus. Um, yeah, I host a singer songwriter showcase and a music venue in Berlin. Um, and, and I, I record albums and I sing sad tunes that make me really happy. Um, and uh, it's what I do for fun. It's how I process stuff. It's good for my mental health. Um, and it's a huge part of my life. Um, and I'm very grateful that I'm able to do it. 
And it's really exciting when people listen to music and they buy it. That's always cool. Um, even if people didn't buy it or stream it or whatever, I'm still just going to write tunes on my couch because it's good for me. And I hope I can do it for the rest of my life. Um, yeah, so songwriting is a, is a way for me to collect my thoughts and opinions and help me process them and then present them. It's not a means to an end. It's not a bait and switch. Yes, I'm a theologically trained pastor. I don't play music so I can convert people and make them Christian. Uh, if anything, I'm a Christian who writes a lot of music that has deeply Christian and theological metaphors in it. And at the end, if I do have a goal, it really is to piss off people like me. That's what I do. Um, I wrestle with me and my songs. I wrestle with my upbringing, my cultural expressions of Christianity that I had in North America, um, and me trying to think about our, our relationship between politics and theology, politics and gun violence, um, uh, politics and sexuality, theology and sexuality. Like it's, 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 it's me processing all the stuff that's inside of me and, and listening to people and being involved in the lives of others and reading books from other people and learning. Um, it's for me. And for whatever reason, I get behind microphones and record it and then blast it out to the world. Um, and, and then what's even more wild and crazy is cause it's art, it's stupid subjective. And what I think a song means is not what you think a song means. Mm -hmm. And actually I don't own the meaning and neither do you. And so we can introduce a third person who's going to hear it and experience something completely different. And we're all right and all wrong at the same point in time. And what that's an interest. For me, that's also just a really neat analogy towards what it means to be a person of faith um, and trying to be with each other. So. And we all need those, not not even people of faith, but people in general just need an outlet oh, yeah. to express themselves. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I feel like the two ways I can express myself is sitting on a you know, sitting on a stage in a, in a theater room, in a, in a bar in Minneapolis, talking to people about Jesus. But I also, yeah. th and I mean, I think uh, literally, I think podcasting is an art form. I would agree. hundred um, percent. And yeah. if you asked me like five years ago, Hey Brian, a lot of your, one of your main hobbies that you're going to do and spend a lot of your time is, is sitting in a little closeted space with a microphone in your face interviewing people for a podcast you're going to start, I would look at you and be like, are you crazy? Like that sounds right. terrible, right. but it's, I, you know, it gives me passion. It gives me joy. Like having a conversation, like, honestly, this is a highlight of my day, having a conversation with you because, you know, yes, you're in America right now, but you also live overseas and just hearing this, yeah. the, 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 your story and you're hearing mine, it's yeah. like there's this beautiful transaction that's happening. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. And, and it's not even uh, uh, like necessarily a Christian transaction. It's a human to human interaction. It's like yeah. I'm getting yeah. value from your story. I'm sure you're getting value from mine. And it's yeah. just this commonality we have as humans that I just think so often we don't focus on 
um, yes. as people. And so I think yes. well, that's yeah. an, I think that's another reason why the podcasting kind of art medium has grown so much is because mm-hmm. people are like, I'm craving listening to other people in their stories because we need each other. A hundred percent. And you said it, you said, yes, that's, I mean, that's the end right there. We need each other. All are welcome, all are heard, all are respected because we need each other. Newsflash. Like that's the reality. And we're really capable of fucking that up and hurting each other. And we're also really darn capable of, um, to quote some old school Hebrew poetry, turning, you know, beauty from ashes. Like mm-hmm. we're able to do it. Like we're, we, we are. Um, and there's some just beautiful things about that. And yeah, man, I don't know. I, I've enjoyed this conversation quite a bit. I also want to be respectful of time. And I, I just, just to be terribly honest, I have to go pee. So we're going to have to end this at some <laughs> yeah. point in time. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. That's going to, I'm going to leave that in the podcast. No, that's, do that's it, great. man. I mean, I'm, I'm a 40 year old man. It's, it's a reality. So Hey, yeah. I'm getting close. I'm 38. Um, right on. Right uh, on. So, yeah, um, I, I say this to a lot of my guests. Um, hopefully yeah. in the future, um, they can have you back on, come back, just to see what else is happening in your life. Because, you know, life sure. happens to yeah. us all. For the listeners, where can they find you? This is kind of like your time to shine of where where they can find where you're at so people can support what you do. Right. Right. Well, oh, I appreciate that, Brian. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of music, um, my moniker is Romer, R-O-E-M-E-R. Type that into Spotify or to Apple Music, and you'll find me. Amazon as well, I would imagine. Um, uh, it just, But in terms of like if social media, if you wanted to kind of find me, you would actually go to at Romer Collective, which is R-O-E-M-E-R Collective. That's my Instagram handle. Um that's a great way to kind of see what I'm doing. I tend to be moderately active there, and uh, I have a link tree link in my bio that will bring you to other podcast episodes I've been on or music that I'm doing or videos or, or whatever. Um, and uh, that's also a, a way to get in touch with me if that's something that's desirable. Um, so, yeah, 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 that's how that's that's me and where I where I'm at, how to interact. So. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Ben, for for doing this. I'm sure you're we'll welcome. Be, I'm sure we'll be in contact here. Um, and thanks again for for all that you said and and your music and giving it to the masses. You're you're welcome, man. And thank you for this podcast again. This is this has been a great experience. I've actually I've loved listening to episodes. I'm going to continue to listen. I'm a fan. Thank, thank you. you for what you're doing. It's great. Thank you. It's good to hear. Well, you have a good night, and I'm sure we'll cross paths soon. For sure. All right. right. Bye. Later, man. I'm craving listening to other people. Hey, I'm getting close.